by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, Do not count their sin against them, for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Albert Bader, we are privileged to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week we take a journey into the upcoming readings that uh, hopefully you'll be hearing on Sunday morning. We look at the one-year readings from Lutheran Service Book. This is Proclaiming the One, the one-year series, the one-year readings, but more importantly, Proclaiming the One and Only Savior from Sin. Jesus Christ. What what better time to do this than during our season of Lent? And we're halfway through our Lenten journey now to the cross and empty tomb. Today we're going to be looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday in Lent. The fourth Sunday in Lent. As we always do, we want to take a look first at our introit, and we've been spending a little extra time on our introits this year with our Proclaiming the One because our Wednesday Lenten services have focused on the introits, the focused on the introits with the theme of O Sacred Head Now Wounded. And we know that that sacred head is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our introit for this week is a portion of Psalm 122 with the beginning and end, the antiphon, from Isaiah 66. It's a short one, but it's a powerful one. Vicar, take it away. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breasts. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. Okay. As I said, short and sweet. And, Pastor, we have a lot of Jerusalem talk here. Uh, Help me figure this out because I really wasn't planning on uh, spending thousands of dollars on an airplane ticket and flying down to Jerusalem so I could experience this. Rejoice with Jerusalem. Uh, A little bit later on, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, All this Jerusalem talk. Are we talking about the capital of the nation of Israel in the Middle East? Are we talking about something else? Are we talking about both? Help us sort this out. Well, yeah, there's uh, definitely an aspect of talking about both of these within this particular intro. Uh, First off, we know that... um, The name Jerusalem itself is probably from the two words ear 
and shalom in Hebrew, ir being city, shalom being peace, Yerushalom uh, being the city of peace. Um, we also have this aspect that this is the heavenly Jerusalem, the place where God dwells uh, that is pictured in Revelation chapter 21, coming down from uh, heaven as a bride for Christ. Uh, that's part of the reason why this particular psalm is often said um, as a part of the funeral service, uh, oftentimes meeting with families before a funeral, this psalm is read uh, as a reminder that their loved one who has died in the faith is now resting at peace in the heavenly Jerusalem, awaiting the resurrection, and that one day we too will be there at the heavenly peace in the heavenly Jerusalem ahead. Okay, so this uh, city of peace uh, is a historic name for the actual city of Jerusalem. It ironically, has, yeah. yeah. Ironically, <laughs> yeah, very much so, because it's been anything but peace Correct. there. And uh, it has uh, uh, a description, allusions, picture to the ultimate peace that we have in that heavenly Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem the Golden. We have several uh, marvelous, marvelous hymns that point that out. We focus on uh, that end of the world kind of talk with the uh, first two weeks of our church year in Advent and the last several weeks in our church year at the end of the year. What about today? Uh, I'm not going to go to Jerusalem and uh, experience this city. And uh, while I want to be prepared to die. I want to be prepared for that new Jerusalem. I want to look forward to that new Jerusalem uh, in God's good time. Uh, is there anything that these words and the talk of Jerusalem speaks to me right here and right now? I definitely think so, um, especially when we consider that we are our feet have been standing within your gates. Um, that's an idea that we are already a part of the church. Or in other words, the heavenly Jerusalem doesn't just come in Israel uh, off to the west of the Dead Sea, but rather the heavenly Jerusalem is present wherever God's word is preached and taught in its truth and purity and his sacraments are uh, distributed according to Christ's institution. In other words, when we come to church on a Sunday morning, um, Heaven descends, and we partake of it in the uh, divine service. Uh, it is heaven on earth. Uh, in other words, the heavenly Jerusalem on earth in all that we do on Sunday mornings. Okay, so we have the city of Jerusalem, we have the heavenly Jerusalem, and we have heaven on earth in, uh, in God's house and specifically in the divine service. I think that is a... Uh, uh, comprehensive way to understand this Jerusalem talk. But I'm going to go one more. Uh, we are pointed to Jerusalem for a specific reason. When God's word points us to Jerusalem and to the city gates of Jerusalem and what happens in Jerusalem, this is talking about Jesus, isn't it? Well, I definitely think that that can be applied there. Jesus comes to Jerusalem on the Passover week uh, to go to the cross, to suffer, to bleed, and to die. Uh, he is killed outside the walls of Jerusalem into the uh, northwest corner of the town there. Um, and he's buried in that same area in the northwest corner of town at that time. And so 
peace can only be found in Christ and what he's done by his work on the cross, and that is accomplished right outside the city of Jerusalem, and so there is that aspect happening as well. Okay, so so when when we hear that word Jerusalem, we have a lot of stuff going on. And when you come to church, you're, you're hearing not, not so much the word Jerusalem, but you're hearing about this peace. And this is kind of code word for the forgiveness of sins. It's everywhere in our hymns. It's everywhere in our prayers. And it's every, 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 everywhere in our liturgy that we use because God wants his people to have and to know the peace that surpasses all understanding, the peace that comes from him and only him. So today, this uh, fourth Sunday in Lent, uh, Latare, or Latare, depending on your uh, Latin pronunciation, comes from the first word of our introit, and that is rejoice. Rejoice. Sometimes this is the pink or the rose Sunday in uh, the Lenten journey, and uh, you come to church and you see your pastor with a stole or a chasuble that reminds you of Pepto-Bismol, uh, you know that uh, your pastor has a uh, rose-colored chasuble. This is designated for Latare Sunday, the Rejoice Sunday. Normally, our rejoicing is very subdued during the season of Lent. But right here, right smack dab in the middle of the Lent, we rejoice. Pastor, what's up with that? Well, we can't ever get so muddled down in um, the sorrows of our sin and things that we forget the joy that we have in Christ. And so it's good that God... Uh, through his infinite kindness and uh, also at the church uh, in its wisdom of generations has placed for us a reminder that we got to have joy in the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ and that nothing can ever take that away from us. Yes, we mourn, but we do not mourn as others do who have no hope. We mourn knowing that Christ has died and rose again and that we have eternal life because of that. And so there is still an aspect of joy that it's necessary for us to have even in the midst of repentant sorrow. I know uh, years ago I made the comment, uh, you know, during the season of Lent in our divine service, we refrain from singing the hymn of praise. Yeah, pretty standard uh, announcement that a pastor would make at the beginning of a worship service. And afterwards, I heard one of my confirmation kids uh, explaining Lent to a little brother or little sister and said, we don't praise God during Lent. <laughs> yeah. How easy it is to to fall off the horse, to think that uh, Lent is only about being somber and being repentant and forgetting the fact that every Sunday in Lent isn't even really a part of Lent. We do things a little bit differently in Lent because we're fixing our eyes on Jesus and specifically his passion, his passion for us and for our salvation how he freely and willingly gives up himself for us and for the life of the world. Now, there is a word picture or imagery here in this, uh, in this introit that I want us to flesh out. It says in um, 
uh, about the fifth line down there, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said, let's go to church. I was glad when they said, let's go to the temple because God dwells there. And because of everything else going on in there, the the prayers, the sacrifices, and stuff, and such. Right before that, this gladness flows from the fact that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast. Who is nursing? Who is being satisfied? And whose consoling breast is? is that person nursing at? In this particular psalm, uh, Jerusalem is personified as a woman, as a mother, in fact. And so uh, when we talk about Jerusalem in this particular psalm, it's always referred to as her or she. Uh, and so when it says that you may be nurse, you nurse and be satisfied at her consoling breast, that means you're at the place of Jerusalem, you're at the temple, you're the place where the gifts are given, and that gift being given is uh, compared to the nourishment that a child receives when it is nursing from its mother. In other words, that's the place where God gives the things that you need to be sustained in the faith, uh, at church, at the temple, at the place where God is, and that's the very idea that's being pictured. Okay. Can we translate that then? And we're about out of time for this segment. I hate to do this to you so quickly, but uh, can we translate that then to Holy Mother Church that uh, some church bodies talk about? Uh, We've always been a little bit reluctant to talk that way in the Lutheran Church, but it seems that the Scripture talks this way. What, What am I missing here? I don't think we should be nervous talking that way so long as we understand what the church is. The church is not an institution ran by human beings here on earth. The church is the place where the word is preached and taught in its truth and purity, where congregation gathers to receive that uh, from the office of the ministry. Um, And uh, uh, if we understand church as pastor, congregation gathered around the word and the sacraments, uh, we can definitely talk about Holy Mother Church. And in fact, Scripture does both in the book of Revelation, it does here, and it does throughout all of the other pages as well. We, uh, we're not talking about uh, the Vatican. We're not talking about St. Louis, Missouri. We're not talking about Istanbul or Constantinople. We're not even talking about a literal Jerusalem. We're talking about Christ and His Word for us and for our salvation. We'll be back in just a moment. We need to take a quick break. This is Proclaiming the One. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Crucified, 
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Albert Bader. We're privileged to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, 3825 Wildbriar Lane in South Lincoln. Come join us for worship, 8 and 1030 on Sunday morning, Sunday school for all ages in between. During the Lenten season, we gather at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m., uh, 6.30 p.m., excuse me, with a fellowship meal in between. We are focusing on the introits of Lent on these Wednesday evenings, and uh, that's why we spent a little bit of extra time on the introits throughout our uh, Proclaiming the One sessions. The theme is, O Sacred Head, Now Wounded. We're talking about Jesus and what he has done for us. Right here, smack dab in the middle of of Lent, fourth Sunday in Lent, we have a Sunday that the theme is rejoicing. In our first segment where we talked about the introit, we talked about Jerusalem and all the things that Jerusalem stands for and signifies. We talked about Mother Church and properly understanding how the church, through God's Word and its truth and purity and the sacraments administered according to the Word, are that lifeblood that sustains us, delivering Good Friday and Easter to us for forgiveness, life, and salvation. We spend a lot of time talking about spiritual gifts and spiritual benefits in the church. We spend an extra amount of time talking about the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ and the spiritual blessings and spiritual benefits that he brings to us through his life, death, and resurrection. And so it seems a little bit unusual that our gospel reading for today takes us in a different direction. John 6 1 to 15. Vicar, please. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not be enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. And Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The feeding of the five thousand. Most people know of this scriptural account. 
uh, whether you're a Christian or not, most people have heard of at least some of the miracles of Jesus. The feeding of the 5,000, one of the more popular miracles of Jesus. I've heard this miracle preached in a variety of ways, uh, some of them that uh, are more God-pleasing than others. I have heard uh, this parable preached in a way that was uh, absolutely contrary to God's word and uh, horrific, and uh, this also in a, uh, in a Lutheran church. Hopefully so, it wasn't me preaching. No, I haven't heard <laughs> you preach that much yet. Uh, but uh, we'll have an opportunity here to uh, to talk about this particular miracle and then why this particular miracle during the season of Lent. Why is it uh, pictured here at this particular time? So first of all, I love to do this. John 6 comes after John 5. It begins after this. Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, help us out after what? pastor, and uh, teach us a little bit about the isagogics and the geography of what's going on here. Yeah, uh, the, after this, uh, there's all of John chapter 5 is in Jerusalem. By the Sheep Gate, there's a pool called Bethesda, which has a colonnaded roof, and there's all these people that are there, and the water is stirred, and uh, if you get in the water, um, then you are healed uh, if you're the first one in there after the water is stirred. And Jesus goes in. There's a man who cannot get into the water to be healed uh, first, uh, according to the tradition, uh, whatever the tradition was that's kind of disappeared a little bit from our history and our knowledge. Uh, the remains of the pool are still there in Jerusalem. Uh, so, so anyways, there's a man who's paralyzed. He can't get in the water. Jesus goes and speaks the word, says, get your uh, mat, walk, and leave. And uh, the man's able to do that. And uh, it happens on the Sabbath that Jesus has healed this man. And so there's a big question and a brouhaha uh, in Jerusalem about whether it's legal and lawful to heal uh, on the Sabbath day. And uh, Jesus says, absolutely it is. Uh, he says that um, not only that, uh, I am uh, essentially uh, the one who has the authority to do so. And then he says he has the authority to raise the dead. On the last day, uh, the Son of Man will come and will call the dead out of their graves. And he's saying that I'm, do, I'm that one. I have that authority. Then it goes in discussion, the last half, chapter 5, because uh, I'm the one that God the Father sent. I'm the Son, and the Son uh, has the authority to do what the Father wishes. Uh, and so there's kind of a discussion about what's taking place. Now, as far as where this particular miracle is taking place, after this, then we go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is then upon the northern side, uh, which is opposite of Jerusalem. This is uh, closer to where Jesus base of operations is and so uh, he goes across the Sea of Galilee the Sea of Tiberias on the northern coast somewhere uh, and this is where this miracle is going to take place we uh, we have some amazing words at the end of uh, John chapter 5 and thank you for uh, giving us that historical context about the healing at the uh, uh, pool on the uh, on the sabbath day jesus uh, at the end of chapter four uh, five talks about his glory how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from only god 
Do not think that I will accuse you to your father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So Jesus is setting us up and setting up here in John chapter 6 this whole miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 as kind of a battle royale between Jesus and Moses. Well, you know, I don't want to say battle. I, I rather think that John sees Jesus as the fulfillment Absolutely. of all that uh, Moses wrote. And I think the entire gospel does this. If you see, uh, we don't do very well at this, and this is, I keep thinking I need to write a book about this, but I'm not that good a writer. Uh, Christ fulfills everything that is in the first five books of the Bible, as well as the rest of the Old Testament. Um, but um, Christ is the one promised in Genesis 3. Christ is the one promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to Judah, to David. Uh, the, the list goes on. Uh, Christ, we're going to see, he, he feeds the people with bread. He's the fulfillment of the manna in the wilderness. Uh, Christ is the water that comes out of the rock. Uh, Christ, Christ, Christ in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He fulfills everything that Moses wrote. Absolutely. And so when, when he is uh, putting out this, uh, this Moses, if you believe Moses, Moses talked about me, he is uh, at first glance setting up a, you know, who's greater? Who's greater? Is, it, is Moses greater than me or am I greater than Moses? This is kind of a superficial thing, and he's using this to suck people in. And then after he sucks them in, he gives them what you just beautifully articulated, that he is the fulfillment. He didn't come to abolish Moses. He came to fulfill Moses. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. The law cannot save. The law points forward to the person and work of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness, life, and salvation that he and he alone can bring. So when he's talking about this uh, Moses thing and how Moses fed you in the desert, we're talking about manna. What is Jesus going to do? He's going to give a kind of a New Testament heavenly manna, the feeding of the 5,000, and then say, you're looking at the wrong bread. The manna that comes down from heaven is my flesh. Don't be fixated on the bread and fish. Look at me. I'm the fulfillment, Pastor. Yeah, and even I think we're always at a little bit of a disadvantage when we refer to the Torah as the law. Uh, I think uh, we have to remember that throughout all that is the promise of a Savior that's coming. And this is what I try to teach the confirmation kids and the school kids as well. And so that that fits in perfectly with what we just said. Uh, When we see Christ as the fulfillment of all those promises, uh, then everything suddenly makes sense and we understand what God is doing in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And it's always the same thing. He's pointing us to Jesus, crucified and risen to take away our sins. And all people, Old Testament, New people, uh, New Testament, uh, who believe that have salvation in Christ. What is the most important thing in the Torah? Many people would answer the Ten Commandments. And in one respect... They would not be wrong, but 
the Ten Commandments are fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. And so see the, to see the Ten Commandments as the most important thing in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, would be missing the point that truly what is the heart, core, soul, and center of all of Scripture is Jesus. In the Torah, Moses prophesied about a prophet, a prophet who would come and be even greater than him. This is in Deuteronomy 18. This is at the end of our John 6 pericope, the gospel reading, when we're talking about the uh, the great and mighty prophet. But it's going to be a little bit before we get to that. We need to take a break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday after Lent. When we come back from our break, we'll continue looking at our gospel reading, John 6, 1 through 15. at noon on KNNA. Drawn to the cross, which you have blessed. That is how God works. He draws us to himself. He uh, invites us to come and partake of the rest and the peace that he has earned for us with his Good Friday death and his Easter Sunday resurrection. He distributes this peace and uh, this rest in his word as it is proclaimed in its truth and purity. His uh, sacraments administered according to the command and promise of God. It is spoken into our ears in the holy absolution. We are fed with the very body and blood of Jesus, giving us strength for the journey. But lest we think that God only cares about our spiritual care, unless we think that Christianity has been reduced to some sort of pie-in-the-sky-when-I-die kind of theology and has nothing tangible for me right here and right now, God's Word clearly teaches us that He gives us everything that we need to support this body and life. Jesus teaches us to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. And here in our gospel reading for the fourth Sunday in Lent, John chapter 6, Jesus teaches us by the power of his word 
that he cares not only for our soul, but he cares for our body. A large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Pastor Moline, in our last segment, talked about one specific major sign that uh, took place at the pool outside of Jerusalem. Is that the pool of Siloam? The, yeah, the pool of Bethesda. Pool of Bethesda. Pool of Bethesda. We got to get our uh, we got to get our pools there, straight and correct here. There was a, uh, a Byzantine church built on top of it, and then uh, now uh, the uh, Church of Saint Anne is right next door to it. But you can still go down into the pool, and there is still water there from the time of Christ in the same cistern that would have been there. It's about. 30 feet underground now, though, but uh, that still is there. I know you're planning and uh, hoping to uh, pull off a uh, visit to the Holy Land. Uh, Would the uh, Pool of Bethesda be uh, something that might possibly be on the itinerary? It is definitely on the itinerary because it is also the place, St. Anne's Church right next door to it, is where um, the traditional pilgrimage uh, along the Via Dolorosa begins when you uh, go um, to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre where Christ was both crucified and buried. Um, I say traditional Via Dolorosa because uh, that's the way people have been walking for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, actually, Christ probably came into the church the other direction from uh, uh, the Jaffa Gate, but uh, that doesn't change the uh, traditional pilgrimage route. Vicar, do you have any idea what Via Della Rosa means? Boom, right over my head. Yes, it's the way of sorrow oh. or the road of sorrow. Okay. Um, and uh, you see that in Mel Gibson's the Passion of the Christ. Uh, you see some of that allusion to that as well. Okay, so the uh, the signs that Jesus is uh, uh, performing, uh, most especially the miracles that he is performing, so a large crowd gathers. Jesus goes up on the mountain. He sat down with his disciples. The Passover, the Feast of the Jews was at hand. That is another reason to explain the large number of people that are on hand. Pastor? It's an interesting note that John puts there. Um, It puts it in a context, this uh, eating of bread, uh, that also then reminds us of the Passover that would have taken place the same time hundreds of years before. Uh, It also is odd because uh, the place to be for the feast of the Passover would actually be in Jerusalem. And it's interesting that Jesus is not in Jerusalem, and it's interesting that this crowd of people is not in Jerusalem for the feast. And so there's an odd thing that uh, draws this out uh, to our attention in this particular case. It's also one of the places in the uh, Gospel of John uh, that helps us understand how long Christ's ministry on earth was because it talks about three different Passovers in John's Gospel, whereas the uh, synoptic gospels only talk about the one okay so uh could we say then i'm just thinking off the top of my head could we say then that uh jesus not being in jerusalem for this particular passover is indication that everything about the passover is fulfilled in jesus and the passover is where jesus is is that possible well i think definitely that that's the 
implication that we understand is that Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's his blood that we put over our doorposts or even upon ourselves that causes death to pass over. It's his body that we eat um, in the uh, Lord's Supper, which is the fulfillment of the Passover meal. And it's his blood that we drink, knowing that the life is in the blood and that in the drinking of the blood we receive the life that he has, life to the full. And so those implications are there. Um, And so that's why it's important to point out We can't just gloss over these little words. When we read John's gospel, every little thing that he says is important. Speaking of that, lifting up his eyes in uh, John 6, verse 5. Uh, Where were his eyes uh, that uh, they needed to be lifted up? Well, I I think... You know, maybe you know something here. I don't know. I think this is a phrase where he he looks up and he sees all these people that are following him, uh, and uh, you know he's on the side of this hill on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden there's all these people and there's no place to go and buy food, and so it's kind of this idea he's looking around. Unless there's a deeper theological significance that you know. Uh, my my only thought is is what is generally the posture of prayer. Uh, we are looking down, we are fixed, we are focused, our eyes are closed, and then the crowds continue to gather. Jesus lifts up his head, he looks and sees all the people, and is immediately filled with compassion for the people. We, we have a practical problem, we have a logistics problem, um, we need to get a hold of the quartermaster to find out how we're going to feed all these people. And uh, so Jesus uh, turns to Philip, who must have at least for that minute been the quartermaster of the group, and said, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And uh, John also notes there that it wasn't like Jesus was befuddled here. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. He did this to test Philip. And Philip proves that he is a good Missouri Synod Lutheran um, with his answer in verse 7. How does he answer, Vicar? Verse 7. Uh, 200 denarii would not be enough bread for each of them to get a little, basically. You know, you, you take a whole year's wages for a man and buy bread for these people, and we're still not going to have enough for them even to get a crumble of it. Okay. Philip was worried about the money. He, was, he could not see the bigger picture. He could not see the compassion of Christ for these people. He could not see that the miracle worker might be getting ready to be another miracle work, uh, do another miracle here. All he could do was fixate on the dollars. And my friends, uh, I've been doing this pastor thing for a long time. And one of the biggest problems we have in the Christian church, one of the biggest problems we have in the Lutheran church, one of the biggest problems we have in the Lutheran church, Missouri Synod, is people who only think about money. When we have dollar signs in our eyes or in our heart, all we can do is fight. It leads us into temptation. It causes us to commit all kinds of other sins and If you can trust Jesus to take care of your soul, I think you can trust him to take care of your physical needs as well. And that includes your money. I think that's one of the bigger picture uh, points of this particular text. Sorry to uh, go off on a tangent there. Um, 
So he uh, he's fired up about the money, and uh, then uh, you know Simon Peter or Andrew Simon Peter's brother says, uh, eh, "We got a little boy here who remember to bring along some food, uh, five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many?" Pastor, the general attitude of the disciples when confronted with the issue of the throngs of people who are hungry. Well, in general, they are. Um, they think it's an impossible task. Uh, what they need to do here to feed all these people, uh, you know. If anything, we could say maybe Andrew has a little bit of a voice of faith here. Who says, "Well, at least we've got this right here. Here's a starting point. We have a boy with five loaves, and two fish." Um, but he does add that ending onto his statement. But what are they for so many people? There's no way that'll be enough to feed everybody. But at least it's a voice of faith saying, here's where we're starting. Here's where we can begin. Uh, and he, he's saying it to who? To Jesus. To Jesus. And so that's a good place to say, you know, um, we're going to do this building project. Here's what we've got, Lord. Um, it doesn't look like enough, but we know there's a faith there that uh, you'll take and provide what we need to, to accomplish what we need to do. Uh, and so generally... There's doubting, and yet there's also still that little voice of faith, maybe, at least in St. Andrew. I want to uh, connect this because we, we, we're kind of retracing the Exodus journey here. I want to connect this to the attitude of the children of Israel who were longing for the flesh pots of Egypt. They uh, uh, forgot about their slavery. They forgot about being whipped and killed by their masters. All they could think about was their belly. And, oh, if we just had some cucumbers and some leeks and some melons, oh, everything would be fine. Fondue. Yeah, yeah, let's have a little fondue here. Um, is, it, uh, is it legitimate for us to make those kind of connections between uh, especially the disciples here because we don't hear what's going on in the people's minds, but we know from the other Gospels, this, this uh, miracle is contained in all four of the Gospels, we know that Jesus had compassion on them. He was afraid that they were going to die or faint from the uh, from the journey and from the day uh, is that a is that a legitimate connection for us to make with regard to the uh, children of Israel in the wilderness yes uh, it's, it definitely is because sinners never change we always do the same thing uh, whatever it is that God has given to us we uh, we complain about it and we turn it into a, a, a grumbling against the Lord you know um, we only have five loaves and two fish. Well, what kind of a God would just leave us that? You know, uh, we only have a, um, you know, a 1974 Grand Torino. I don't even know if they made those that year or whatever. And it's rusty and it's falling apart. Oh, that's all we have. You know, or somebody else might see it as a great blessing, the person who has no car or the person who likes old cars. And that's what we do as sinners. We take what God has given to us and we complain about it. I only have this shirt. Uh, I wish I had the new, new brand. I don't know. I'm I'm not hipping with it, so I don't know what's in style now. But that's what we always want. Yeah, of all the things you've said on this program, Pastor, that may be the most accurate of all. <laughs> uh, you know, you are you are not hip and with it. And the only person that I know of that is less hip and with it than you is me. So uh, so we make a we make a good pair there. All right. So we are right up to the miracle. 
Jesus um, is confronted with the problem. He's confronted with the bad attitude. He has the, uh, the loaves and the fish. And what is Jesus going to do? Well, hang on. We need to take a short break. We will be right back. We're looking at John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, the feeding of the 5,000, the fourth Sunday in Lent. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. to K-N-N-A-L-P, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday in Lent. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We'd uh, love to have you worship with us at Good Shepherd. Uh, 8, 10.30 on Sunday mornings, 4 and 6.30 during uh, Lent on Wednesday evenings. You can listen live, 95.7 FM right here in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can listen on the app or on our uh, comp- at the computer anytime throughout the world, www.thecross957.org. And we have all kinds of archived programs as well as the first three parts to this episode, Fourth Sunday in Lent, that are available on the uh, uh, archive part of our website so you can catch up, especially if you only heard uh, bits and pieces. In segment one, we looked at the introit for Lent 4. In the first two segments, uh, or the next two segments, we looked at the gospel reading, and we didn't quite get done with the gospel reading. There's just so much there. We have Jesus confronted with a mega problem. We have throngs of people. They are uh, hungry. They are to the point of fainting or even worse. They are far away from all kinds of uh, grocery stores, cities, communities like that. There's no way to go out and buy food for them. They don't have the money. They don't have the opportunity. They don't have the resources. The quartermaster has failed in his job. They don't know what to do, so they look to Jesus. Oh, they did come up with a, a little boy with some loaves and fishes. Pastor. Yeah, and I think as we get ready to hear what Jesus does, it would be worthwhile for us also to hear uh, these famous words from the 23rd Psalm, because I think John sees this action as a fulfillment of those words. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, as we hear those words, we see what Jesus does. 
He makes them sit down in a place where there's much green grass. He uh, takes the bread and he divides it. He sets the table before them. He's on the side of the Sea of Galilee where the waters are lapping up against the shore. Still, uh, still water, calm water. All these things are fulfilling that 23rd Psalm. The eating, the green grass, the still waters, and Christ, the Lamb of God, shepherding them and providing for them. You, you have just illustrated beautifully what happens when you actually know the Word of God. When you know the Word of God, and many of us know Psalm 23, many pagans know Psalm 23. If we knew other portions of God's Word as well as we know Psalm 23, we would be able to make those kind of connections and see Jesus and the fulfillment and the promises and the prophecies. We would be able, the, the, the fireworks would be going off constantly as we're reading God's Word. We'd be thinking back. Um, not too long ago, we did a Bible study with our Tuesday morning group here at church, and we're looking at uh, Zephaniah, one of those minor prophets that nobody ever hears about or talks about. Zephaniah 2, verses 6 and 7 have that same kind of a connection to Psalm 23. And we see this being fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And uh, thank you for doing that. And I just would encourage people be in God's Word. Read God's Word. You don't have to sit down and turn it into a chore and memorize it or uh, uh, force yourself to do that. The more you read it, the more you study it, the more it will just become a part of who you are. You'll know it and have it memorized without any uh, formal kind of memory work kind of a thing like that. So thank you for that. And uh, I was going to ask about the... Um, uh, much grass part of that the uh, the psalm twenty three connection is good. I had somebody come up to me one day after uh, preaching on John six and it says uh, you know uh, Jesus gave them uh, food, gave them bread and fish, basically fish sandwiches, and uh, it says there was much grass in the area. What did they drink? What did they drink why didn 't they faint from lack of water? And the only thing that I could think of is there had to be a great water source in this area. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been much grass. And so I was thinking on that practical level with regard to that phrase. Well, I mean, in a practical level as well, they're right next to the uh, Sea of Galilee, which is actually fresh water. And so they, they have that water that they could drink in a purely practical level. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So... Uh, he sets the table. He has them sit down. They are organized. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed, those, distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Okay. He distributed as much as they wanted. Pastor, comments on, uh, on those uh Phrases. Well, I mean, the first off, uh, the fact that he took the takes the bread and gave thanks and then distributed it are words that also help us to look forward in the life of Christ. Uh, also to the, the Lord's Supper on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. Giving thanks. Uh, what, what is that Greek word for giving thanks that we sometimes refer to the Lord's Supper as? Eucharist. The Holy Eucharist. Eucharisto, Eucharisto giving thanks. 
And, and so we see that happening. And so all these different places of Scripture are finding little segments and, and fulfillments here in this particular place. So uh, he takes and he distributes it to all those who are seated. And so you see this idea where Christ took this piece of bread and he ripped it off and he gave a hunk to one person and he kept on ripping off from these loaves and they kept on having more bread to give out. Uh, you know, maybe he, uh, these fish, maybe he ripped off a, a hunk of meat from one of those and gave it to the person and then there kept on happening that there was more and more and more and he could keep on ripping off and giving and distributing over and over and over to all the people that were there. And that's that's the miracle there is that the bread doesn't run out as he's distributing it. It's kind of a neat thing in that regard. The uh, I've had some people refer to this as a miracle of multiplication. I don't know if that's, that's a I don't know if that's a good word properly understood. Like you just uh, like you just described it, I think is correct. Uh, it can be taken off in a uh, a lot of different uh, naughty tangents with regard to that multiplication talk. But uh, and that's the name of the church that's built in the supposed site is the Church of the Multiplication, ooh. and uh, they have an ancient tile uh, mosaic floor um, where there are the there's five loaves and the fish Um, the four loaves are in the tile floor under the altar and the fish are on the floor under the altar and the idea is that the fifth loaf sits up on the altar for those who are gathered at the church so they can have communion on this site and the fifth loaf is the one that you partake of the lord's body in awesome that is that is very interesting uh vicar uh, we we have uh, here, it says, uh, when they had eaten their fill. When they had eaten their fill. There's uh, other Gospels that talk about they ate and they were satisfied, satiated. Uh, satiated? Satiated? Sated. Sated. Sated, I think. Sa- sa- yeah, okay. You, you know what I'm, uh, hear what I mean, not what I said. <laughs> okay, so Vicar, um, what does it mean... To eat to the full or to be satisfied. Now, you're on the farm. Um, you, you have livestock and all that kind of stuff. Uh, what does it mean to eat to the full or to be satisfied with your food? Well, one thing I think it means is to be at peace. No longer yearning for more and more and more. You've had enough and you just feel good. You feel at ease. Okay, now I am Content, maybe, is another way to talk about it. And uh, that is what Jesus is doing here. You know, it seems impossible. Oh, it's just five loaves of fish and two small uh, fish. How is he going to divide these all out so that everybody can have, as Philip said, you know, even just a crumble, even just a morsel of it? Well, Jesus does. He gives it to everyone. He gives it to the full, as he does with all of his blessings, until they have it completely and totally, and they are satisfied, they're content, being in the blessings of Jesus. They eat to their full, they're filled up, they're content, they're satisfied, and there are more leftovers than there are food that Jesus started with, with the loaves and the fishes. What do you make of that, Pastor? It's a miracle. 
It's a miracle. Uh, God is the one who gives abundantly, provides all that we need to support our bodies and life, as we talked about earlier, uh, and not just in this world, but uh, all we need to support our body and life into eternity with the resurrection and the hope of uh, heaven. And that's the, uh, the amazing thing about God. Uh, and especially shown here in the person work of Jesus uh, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, now I started out uh, this whole section when we were looking at the gospel two segments ago. I started out talking about how Jesus has kind of set us up with a uh, almost like a duel between Moses and Jesus. It's not a duel. This is not my dog's better than your dog kind of a thing. This is Jesus is a greater, a new and greater Moses. He is the fulfillment of Moses. And Moses predicted a prophet in Deuteronomy 18. And in verse 14, when the people saw this sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. What is this prophet talk? And we got about two minutes left in this segment, Pastor. Wrap it up for us. Connect all the dots. It is indeed uh, the fulfillment of what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Uh, And the important thing then is Moses says, uh, there'll be a prophet, listen to him. And that's what you ought to do, uh, knowing that Christ is the fulfillment of Moses, is listen to him. His word says, fear not, I am with you. Fear not, your sins are forgiven. Uh, Fear not, um, I will surely be with you always, even to the end of the age. In me, you have life and life to the full. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will certainly come again to take you with me, that where I am, you may be also. Uh, Listen to these words of Christ, the one who bled and died to forgive you all of your sins and promises that in him you have hope, hope to overcome this world of difficulty, sin, and tribulation. Amen. Amen. Vicar, would you uh, bring things to a close with the collect of the day? Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, your mercies are new every morning. And though we deserve only punishment, you receive us as your children and provide for all our needs of body and soul. Grant that we may heartily acknowledge your merciful goodness, give thanks for all of your benefits, and serve you in willing obedience. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. This is Proclaiming the One. We look at the readings for the fourth Sunday in Lent. Join us for church this coming Sunday. Get up Sunday morning, drink your coffee, read your paper, pray for your pastor, and go to church. We'll be back again next week, proclaiming the one, God's richest blessings in Christ.